Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at dtcpod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Are you curious how much your business is worth? Get your free no-obligation offer from OpenStore at open.store. This episode of DTC Pod is also brought to you by Peel Insights, the e-commerce analytics platform that supercharges all of your retention efforts every day and with every customer. Go to peelinsights.com slash dtcpod to learn how hundreds of e-commerce brands use Peel to reveal purposeful insights like LTV, AOV, repurchase rate, churn, and hundreds of metrics more. See how brands are nurturing deeper customer relationships with easy-to-use retention tools that hyper-target and provide immediate growth. The subscription market is predicted to grow nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTCpod. Hello, DTCpod. I'm excited today to have our guest, Oren Shabal from Product World, and um, Oren keeps his hands busy with a lot of other stuff too. So um, Oren, I'm excited to dive into each and every single one of those, and I'll, I'll let you go ahead and do the introduction on everything you're working on. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you keep yourself busy with. Uh, yeah, no, no problem. So look, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the pod. Uh, I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur and product developer. Um, started agency side in New York, working in kind of liquor and uh, kind of in fashion there. Uh, ended up transitioning into a bunch of high tech jobs. Um, I, my first kind of big, big jump was bringing the consumer drones, like camera drones into retail globally. Um, so we brought those to Best Buy and Fnac in France and Australia and all that and kind of uh, fought in the, in, in the kind of consumer electronics wars for a while. Uh, then started the product development agency in Austin with uh, some partners that, that's still going to this day that does like complex electronics products. Um, and then after that, I uh, you know took a did a roll up with a bunch of um, you know, smaller DTC cannabis companies and dispensaries that we we brought into the public market last year. And then now um, I work with just a number of businesses, both kind of my own and partnered with others on their product roadmaps and bringing their products to market. I have way more projects than I uh, should. Uh, I kind of have my hands in all kinds of things, but I really love building and putting together you know different products in different niches right now i've got stuff that's in um you know in, in women's fashion stuff that's in surf uh, i'm working on on things in, in higher end jewelry a lot in the kind of sneaker and um you know and kind of fashion end of it uh some things some things remaining in in dtc cpg uh stuff like you know like in, in beverage and in um in cannabis related things uh yeah and so just you know keep keeping the time busy and excited to, to connect here and talk about some things 
Yeah, I actually, I was, you know, on my research, I found a mutual friend that you work with, Colin Gwynn, um, from oh, yeah. Gwynn Partners. So I, I, I lived for three three or four years in Austin, um, and I actually went out to the compound with Colin. He took me out on the boat, wakeboarding and all. Oh, yeah. So I, so I was, uh, when Gwynn Partners started, it was, um, the original partners were Craig, myself, and Colin. And so, nice. uh, yeah, so I've, we've been around there forever. Now they're the kind of active ones as I'm kind of doing other things. I'm still kind of silent in there, but they have a wonderful agency. Colin's a hell of a guy. Uh, yeah. learned, learned a lot from him about many things. And, uh, yeah. And so no, that's, did that's you, great. Did we you work that on Kyle Blaster stuff? Oh yeah. So now I remember when we first, uh, now it's, it's become way, way I bigger now than anything I've had my hands in. Oh yeah. The new ones are amazing. They're doing an incredible job with a lot of that. But, uh, yeah, I remember from all the, the original prototypes, you know, like uh, the, the original packaging, you know, all the things it was, it was an internal development effort at the agency where we'd take a certain amount of time that we had and then devote it to our own projects. And Colin had the vision for it. And we were bringing in all these iterations based on like airsoft guns and things like that, and then yeah. turn it into what it is today. And uh, yeah, it's, it's come a long way. It's amazing what, what them and the team and uh, have, have done with it from there. Now it's in Target and Walmart and, and all these places. And uh, yeah, really incredible. Yeah. So um, initially, you know, I think for context for the audience, like it just really caught my attention how deep you go on your Twitter and in all kinds of topics around building a product, you know, a lot of people master a vertical, but um, it seems like you go pretty deep in each and every single one of the verticals. So I was like, I have to talk to this guy. Um, and then, you know, I saw that you were um, like, what is, I saw you work, there's this whole thing of like the separation between DDC, like, you know, and then drop shipping. And I saw that you like go between both. Like for, what is, what are the main differentiators, I guess, between like, how do you view the world of say drop shipping versus like building a brand? Why is there sort of also a separation here? Um, and does, does there have to be, um, like how, how do you view what separates these two yeah so uh, no problem actually it's a topic i would like to talk about so drop shipping is great for people that first want to get into just general entrepreneurship because you don't have to actually make or develop a product you take something that already exists and and you sell it and you don't even have to have the factory it's shipped right from it that's the name drop shipping but the downside of that is that usually it ends up being pretty low margin because you're making something that a hundred other people could also be selling uh, and then also you're not making anything that has any real future branded value, right? And so a lot of people want to say, hey, cool, I just want to make a couple of thousand extra dollars a month. That's a lot of entrepreneurs initial goals. But then if you just take the time to develop your own product and kind of make a brand out of it or make something different, all of a sudden you have this exponential value that's coming from what your brand is worth if someone wants to acquire it or if you want to continue building out those SKUs. And what I like to say is that for anyone that started dropshipping, you have the skill set to make your own product and brand. It's just as hard as as uh, to dropship as it is to do those other things. It just seems more approachable. And I highly encourage people to do it because you're building something with actual value. You're making something differentiated and you're going to be able to have something that's potentially acquirable in the future. And I think it's just a, a better long-term approach. But the skill set you gain from learning how to dropship is super important for anyone who's kind of wants to sell direct to consumer products. So could you use dropshipping, you know, as well to sort of validate the, the viability of, of a market? or a product. Yeah, for sure. If you say, Hey, I, so I think there's two ways to approach developing a product. One is saying, I believe there's a opportunity in a, um, in a, in a specific audience. Like, all right, I want to be able to reach, you know, 40, 40 to 50 year olds that are really into golf who are in the Midwest, something like that. And I think that they're untapped market. They're easy to access. I can access them for cheap and I can get them excited about stuff. And that's option one. Option two is you're solving a consumer need. You're saying that, Hey, I think that, uh, that, that this product is, you know, they're, 
you know, uh, women of a certain age group aren't being served correctly with the type of cosmetics that they're that they're having if they have this this skin tone, something of that nature. Uh, and so, if you are want to test something that's more about an audience and say, hey, I want to make sure this audience is on TikTok, I can get them for cheap. Drop shipping's great because you can actually get to an audience with a product that isn't your end product and understand. Uh, if you can reach them. If you're trying to test a product through drop shipping, you want to be testing the differentiated product and not, you know, just doing something that uh, is, you know, is, is generic. And so there's multiple ways to approach it. I'm always on the side of testing a product first mm -hmm. and like understanding if that has fit. Right. And you can also do that through pre-sale. You don't have to be doing that by setting up a drop shipping something else. Right. You can just say, hey, we're going to start selling this in three months. Will you give me your email? And if people respond well to that, you probably have something that you can validate. So you would test even... I mean, you know, there's, I guess there's like the big gap of like email to actually purchasing, you know, there's also the approach of like pre-order, then sending the money back or being like, all right, we'll hold this. If like, you know, we'll, we'll send you the product whenever it's ready, or we'll give you the full refund. Um, but you're talking about also the, the approach of getting the email. Um, yeah, so I think that, uh, good. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I think that the idea that someone's going to buy it before it exists is, really, really useful if you have an established uh, brand or an established kind of personality. So actually, this is something I recommend to people a lot who are in cash flow crunches with an existing product is I'm like, hey, just pre-sale. If you have customers already love your stuff, you should be utilizing that. But if you're new, I think it's it's way harder than people uh, would anticipate to just offer something for sale and assume they're going to get it unless your idea is magical and you can really validate you're going to create it. That's why I think email is a little more useful because the other good part about that if you use that as a validator and you say, cool, I'm gonna put out content about this product that doesn't exist, I'm gonna get a, get a bunch of emails and text messages, is that say then uh, you, you can't make it or you need to figure something else out, you still have this base that you can work from of an audience that you're beginning to build that is gonna be valuable you know, if you pivot it into something else. And it's also hard to get people to convince to do that. Uh, and I think that you, know, you obviously have to cross the line to conversion, but I just think it's such an easy validator. If you start posting organic videos and you start to see hundreds of signups, then yeah. you have something. If you start to see a handful of signups, you probably don't. So yeah, that's one thing I wanted to dive into is like, you know, let's say somebody listens to this and they try it out. They're like, oh, and I got these emails, but I have no con. Like you've seen more data points. You know how many emails would let you know, all right, this is a winner or yeah, you know, you're getting emails, but but it's not decent enough. Um, is there a specific benchmarks you follow for that? Yeah, now look, a lot of it depends on the product that you have. Like if you have an extremely high-end luxury product, you know, that uh, is costing a high amount with a really specific niche, it's gonna be less than if it's something mainstream. But I think the, the real indicator, and this is why I love kind of TikTok for this, and you can also do similar things on Reels and, you, and YouTube now, at least for the time being, is if you just post variations of a handful of the same videos that you know will perform to showcase your product, kind of again and again and continue to tweak it. And you'll see accounts like this to have this, where it's like 10 of a very similar video, they're kind of testing to hit it. And you consistently start getting, okay, if I post something like this, I'm getting five figures of TikTok views, and then I'm getting uh, starting to get tens of subscribers per that, then you're, you have a product that I, that I can, you, know, you, can, you can say is, is validated enough to consider expanding it. Um, and I, and I think that's an opportunity we haven't had. Like that didn't exist five years ago, right? Is to be able to kind of continue making that content and do it. But where people fall short is that you can't just make 10 videos and expect to have your thing validated. Like the whole point of kind of on the TikTok end is you need to make like a hundred. And mm -hmm. so if you and you get a couple of creative videos? friends, yeah, make a, yeah, make it be posting three a day for a month with a different person, a different look, a different concept, refining it, seeing what working and people aren't putting enough content in when they validate it. Like if you post 10 and you're like, my account didn't blow up, this isn't a good idea. That's not it. Like there's a combination of both the creative 
and feeding the algorithm with a certain number of things and testing enough looks and feels to get there. And so I'd say make a hundred. I'm not saying high produced videos, just like you or me are talking right now. You're explaining your product using a typical formula with a great hook for TikTok. And if you make a hundred of those with a couple different people, a couple different settings, you're going to be able to know if you have something validated or not. And so what is the, what about like the counter, counter argument of like, or, and I can just run Facebook ads and like drive traffic and test it and, and not for sure. Know. Yeah. I mean, you could say this is really, that's more a concept for, I guess there's two things. One is you can do the TikTok concept without spending money, which is what a lot of people want to look at. But so I want to spend have, money about hundred videos. Don't you have to yeah, like send out all that product to like a bunch of people? No, I'm something? saying I would say make a hundred you and a couple okay. people, you know, cutting the videos yourself, okay. not whitelisting or running into yeah. influencers or anything like that. I mean, just you creating it. Um, and so like, yeah, not working through any of that. And then, so if you want to validate with Facebook ads and thing too, then you're already validating a paid funnel. And I think it's, uh, to validate a product, you need to validate if it has organic legs, especially in this world, in my opinion, where it's like, you can pay at a small scale and make almost anything work. Uh, the, you know, if I want to spend a hundred dollars and make some sales, like I can probably sell something. Um, but when you, but having with ads, you have to know if it's going to scale. If you're saying, cool, can I get a return at 10,000? Can I get a return at 100,000? Because that's an extremely different equation. And and like you can have a lucky week if you're testing with only $1,000. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like you have to get a w- much wider range of activity to test on paid. And now that was the only option I feel like we had. Again, yeah. three years ago, five years ago, all we could do was test you know, via paid ads, right? It's the only way you could get that audience that quick. But now with the organic reach of video on TikTok Reels and, and YouTube, you can you can do that without spending that same cash on ads. Yeah, and like I feel like when ads was the only option, it's like you first almost had to do that to understand the unit economics and then work the product backwards from that. Whereas now, if you're just passionate about the product and you know, I think biggest takeaway from like e-commerce to to brand too is like it also depends a lot on the person that's doing it, knowing what lifestyle they want or what they want. Like if this is a side hustle, something you want to do outside of work and you just don't have the time, like probably shouldn't be looking into building a brand. Um, and just like you mentioned, you just want to make a few extra five grand a month or something like that. Just stick. Don't put yourself in that position of trying to do a brand as a side hustle. Well, this is why I love this is uh, I actually love this is like as a concept, because what a lot of people don't consider too, is you can just buy businesses, especially now with, uh, this is another thing that didn't exist a couple of years ago. That's just a miracle for new entrepreneurs is you can go on micro acquire or Flippa or buy a biz sell. And then Shopify has their own. I forget what the name of it is off the top of my head. Yeah. And you can just buy a validated existing e-commerce store. That's doing a little bit of money. And so, um, uh, my, my friend's wife did this and she bought a existing business for, I think it was 40 or $50,000, um, you know, which you can finance and things like that. And it was existing, was doing a couple thousand dollars a month and she didn't want to build it. She just wanted to run something and grow it. She didn't want to have to have the initial idea and go through what we talked about of validating it. And so they spent that money. That's not a crazy amount of money. And then now it makes significantly more. I think they're doing, you know, nine, 10 K a month off of it. And then I had a pretty high margin. So, you know, she was able to take that and build it. Yeah, you can do that if you can buy a $1,000 store, you can buy a you know $2 million store, all that's kind of available and you can cut to the chase right there and then know your validation is taken care of by buying something existing. And just the fact that that's an option that we have, again, you couldn't have like marketplaces to buy small Shopify stores like five years ago. People should take advantage of that. Even if you have a great idea and you just want to buy an existing audience or an existing infrastructure or factory links, like 
there is a uh, a big set of things that you can work with that just we didn't have and, and people should take advantage of. Totally. And I have I want to expand on that, too. I think I want to use as an example, like, you know, for example, my girlfriend has like this jewelry holding like pottery that like she just carves by hand. And the the like, you know, I want to run through the process of like taking a company from, you know, sort of validating it, doing yourself to now understanding. All right. Well, there's demand. How do we get suppliers and then think about creative and actually getting the customers? So if you were, how, how would you go about sourcing suppliers once you validate it and you're like, I can't keep making this in my house. I can't keep baking these cookies. I can't keep making this pottery by hand. Um, where, where do you go? Where do you look even to, to sort of find suppliers for, for your product? Yeah. And so there's, there's a, a couple things. Um, so if you want to go overseas, which is where you're going to get the best costing, then I think uh, people will tend to be really intimidated by Alibaba, but I wouldn't be. It's not that hard to use. It is a um, so basically, it, that's just a search network for international factories, and all of them have rankings. So they'll basically show you how much dollars in revenue they're doing through the platform, their on-time delivery rate, uh, their reviews by the customers they have, and how long they've been on the platform. And so if you were to search there for ceramics manufacturers, for instance, you're going to find hundreds that have been on there for years that have a, you know, our preferred vendors, the way you see like someone who's Amazon Prime on, on Amazon, that uh, that have shipped hundreds of thousands of dollars of product and that are, are kind of validated vendors. And if you kind of pick from those and you have two options there, you can either reach out direct to the factory, say, I wanna make this, can you give me a quote? Or you can put out an RFP, which is re re uh, request for proposal or RFQ, which is re request for quotation and detail your product and have vendors submit. I recommend just going straight to the factories, but I would go hit up five or six ceramics factories in those places, say, here's what I'm trying to make. Here's my target price point for how I do it. Here's the sketches and the various information. And if I wanted to get X amount of units, what would that cost me? What's your turnaround time? You know, and, and do you have the bandwidth to create more of these? So you understand, okay, here's my unit economics. Here's how long I have to you know, pay or order ahead um, to, to get these things. And then here's how much capacity they have if I end up selling more of these. And you just, and you chart that out and you say, all right, I have to put X amount of money down now. I pay X amount when I get the product. You know, uh, you work through terms and things like that with those vendors to determine when you pay. Another nice part about Alibaba is if you're kind of preferred sellers on there, you can get financing uh, and pay for things later through the platform, which is nice. Alibaba also has trade assurance, which means if you get a product, if you describe your product immaculately on the platform and they send you something that's not as good, they'll refund you. So there's lots of like little things that they've made to make that process really easy. Uh, and so I would go and start there. Now, if you want to make your things domestically, it's a little bit harder because they don't, the U.S. doesn't have an Alibaba to hunt down exact factories. Uh, so you're kind of doing a lot more work on Google. But there are. There's still tons of local factories for especially beverage, um, apparel, you know, anything uh, like anything DTC, like like CPG stuff, like beverages, that kind of thing. Is that that's all you know, really available local. But just having those conversations with those factories and really mapping that out is, uh, is step one. There's also services. Um, so one I like to recommend a lot is called Pietra. So they are basically an aggregator for Alibaba um, or, or in other places where they'll find a bunch of factories overseas and they take care of the process for you. They've already vetted those vendors and you know you're in good hands and you can pay extra money to have them help you manage the process. Um, so there's services like that where if you don't want to dive in, you can use it and just figure out your unit economics. And I think that's what you do to actually start sourcing the product and then launching it as its own uh, its own separate steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, we just had um, Ron from Pietra on the pod. Um, oh, great. So... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. So you now understand how to find a supplier. You find a supplier, you get samples, you like it. What do you do next? Do you go and then try and, you know, uh, 
I think from your approach, so there's obviously two routes. You can go to the B2B route, but why would you do that when you can just make TikTok videos until it hits, right? Yeah. So I think, well, there's, I think you have to consider what you want and what your, your economics are, right? And so if you're, if you're doing it solo and you're bootstrapped and you're not trying to spend a ton of money, then that's the best way to do it, right? Making your organic videos. But for a lot of places, if you have some overhead or you say, hey, I don't know how many units I can move through that. I think it's kind of good to think through a mixed approach where you say, all right. And, and the mixed approach I like to recommend to most companies is get a couple small retailers to start with um, who are going to be in, invested in helping you succeed with the product. Meet them in person. And so if you're in, if you're in LA and Southern California and you're in beverage, for instance, there's tons of small um, grocery chains and independent stores that are perfect for this. You say, cool, I want to sell my product in your store. I want, you know, we're going to work together on this. I want to get your feedback. I want you to feel like you're a part of it. And so you can kind of build out what retail looks like and validate if you're actually going to succeed in it. And the mm -hmm. reason you choose to do that is because, uh, you know, retailers have a captive audience. Yeah. People walk into Best Buy to buy something. They walk into Air One to buy something. And I wouldn't discount that. Now, you're, is it yeah. easier to do everything through TikTok? Yep. But eventually to get big enough, you're going to have to have a combo of all those things. And so the three big channels are DTC, selling your own stuff online. Um, number one, number two, selling through retail. And then number three, selling through Amazon. I just put as its own entire tranche of things. Uh, and I recommend kind of waiting a bit on Amazon versus doing it from the, the, the very beginning. Um, but I think you need a strategy for all three. And it really depends on how many people you have on your team, how much money you have for inventory, and you know and how much time you have to spend on it. If you have a couple people, you have a decent amount of money for inventory, you should be trying to validate all three of those things with it at a small scale to really see what's going to succeed for you and where the margins are. And if one doesn't work, you're like, you know what, I'm just not selling enough on Amazon. Cool, cut it. But if one starts to take off, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm doing a lot better at retail than I'm doing DTC. And this is something that happened with a... Uh, um, a company I work with called Chlorophyll Water, where they um, they have a great product. Influencers kind of loved it. They're trying to sell as much as they can DTC. and But at the end of the day, people don't buy water DTC. They buy it in yeah. store. And they were doing so well in stores, even though their model had been, hey, we really want to be a DTC water company. They just leaned in. And now they're in Whole Foods and Sprouts and everywhere around the world, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, and so I think we have to think through it. Yeah, and you can build relationship with those store owners and probably just make it absolutely risk-free for them of like, hey, can I just sit this product in your shelf? Don't pay me anything. Let's see if it moves. And then we can worry about like what my wholesale pricing is and everything. Well, yeah, when tons of them have now, like incubators and programs for small brands, because they realize like a lot of these places have a made on TikTok section or they'll have a like a way they want to test new products or local products. Like discovery is so much more a part of the retail process than it was before. And I think this is more of a mindset thing where uh, boomers and Gen X like to walk into a place and buy the thing that they know is great. They're like, I'm going to go buy the Coca-Cola because I love Coca-Cola and I don't want to experiment. Millennial and Gen Z customers are like, okay, cool. I tried this thing last time. It was great. I'm going to try something new this time. And they mm -hmm. kind of have their, they're always like in the mood to, to have a different experience. And so retailers have to cater to that too. They need to keep things fresh and interesting and they're not sure what's going to work and they want to base that on data. So I do think there's a lot of opportunity there. The key thing is just not to go too big, too fast. And that's why I recommend get a couple retailers, three retailers, five retailers, get their feedback, spend time in the store, meet your customer, really understand the data to then build out what you can do to scale. Yeah. And since you mentioned Pietra, I know FAIR is the version of, of retail for this where, you know, once you get big enough, you can get listed on FAIR and you basically get access to like 50,000 retailers that can buy your product. Yeah, for sure. Which is, and there's like, I think a couple platforms like this and that's like, uh, Again, these are all things that like, this is why there's such a unique opportunity to build your own brand, your own e-commerce now. It's because like, if you had told me, uh, you know, five years ago, you're starting a brand and be like, hey, guess what? If you get to you know, list yourself on FAIR and you're going to have 200 retailers that are sending you requests, like mm -hmm. that, would, uh, that, that, would, that would sound crazy, right? Um, yeah. Whereas now all these tools are at our disposal. 
And if you do these things in tandem, which I think is hard to execute if you have like a two-person team, is actually kind of easy to execute if you have the right like five-person team, is like, all right, we're making great content on TikTok. We're, we have a couple retailers running a pilot program with. Um, we have, you know, we, we have a brand that looks good. We have not just a single product, but a, a mix of products, of secondary products, attachments, upsells. We have a good, good overall value. And we're, we're telling a great story. Um, and then we're also beginning to explore channels like Amazon and, and paid and, and getting returns on it. If you're doing all those things at a scale and you just continue to do it over time, the compounding effects of all those working at once is like in six months, a year, you really start to take off. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's just people don't have the, either the, the acumen uh, to actually handle all those things at once or are intimidated by how many things that is. Whereas I think some entrepreneurs are just like, yeah, of course, we're going to do all that. Yeah. Um, and I want to dive into distribution, but first I, I, I want to talk about packaging. So I saw that you've tweeted some, some just like products that their packaging just makes the complete experience. But there's, I want to know, is there the right time to think about presentation and packaging? Is this something you do from day one? Like how, how do you, how do you view that and how do you source the right packaging partners at the right time? Yeah. And so I think that, uh, it's one of those things where, your, no matter how good your packaging is, your products will also be good. So I wouldn't go looking at packaging before you have a product you know that works. But that said, you, I think you need to come out the gate with the, the packaging right now because here's the thing is every time someone buys one of your products, you know, say I have a sunglass brand. If I give you a great sunglass, cool. I might post it on social media, I might wear it every day. But if you have a super sick box and like opening experience, there's like an, a way higher chance that people are gonna post it on social media and you're gonna start to get that organic reach because people are gonna wanna make content with it. And, um, and I think that if you've leaned into that from the start, where that's really impressive, uh, where, and you're like, oh, wow, I can, I want to keep this box. Or I want to reuse this, you know, this bottle as a vase or whatever it is. That's just giving your brand like extra living room. And, and every one of those interactions potentially making on social media is such a big, uh, opportunity for your brand as you ship hundred units to a thousand units to 10,000 units. So I definitely recommend doing it. And I think what people tend to think about wrong is you think, oh, packaging has to be really expensive or complicated or unique to be compelling. And I don't like, for sure you can do that. And you can go say, I'm gonna make some crazy custom bottle that looks amazing. Um, but also you could say, all right, what can I do with just a standard cardboard box that, okay, it folds into an origami bird after and comes with an instructional or just has a really unique pattern or setup on it. Or, you know, one I talk about is uh, District Vision where they just have, they have a note from the founders in every box and then the founders emails on the side, which I'm like, oh, that's, it's cool. You can I can see people Instagramming the fact that there's like a thank you note from Tom and Max, like in the box, right? Uh, so I think there's approaches that aren't necessarily expensive to do that. You should do it from the beginning. And um, with a lot of it is, it depends in terms of like costing it and sourcing it comes from where your product's made from. There's some really high-end box vendors in, uh, in, in Italy and places like that and in Portugal. And then obviously you can do the same thing on Alibaba and just find great packaging vendors. But I would recommend like using a real packaging designer for that. You've probably seen, I put it out on Twitter all the time. Like I'm always looking for packaging designers because I just can't get enough. Like I said, the queue is always full. You know, but people who really yeah. understand like sizing and materials and stuff like that is really important. But uh, one of the key tips and tricks I have for that is um, is, is use Import Yeti. So it's, it's uh, importyeti.com. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it searches customs records for any brand and shows you the vendors they buy from. And for most brands, it might be hard to find their exact factory for some things, but almost all of them are ordering boxes direct to a certain location. And so you can kind of look up nice brands you have and then find their box provider or their packaging oh, provider wow. pretty easily and then just reach out to them. Yeah, because you could probably search box supplier X 
city or X place, which where the containers are coming from. Yeah. We even look at the brands. For instance, I actually did this for John Elliott because I was looking, I was trying to find out who John Elliott used to make a particular sweater. Couldn't find that. Found who makes all their shoe boxes and it's a super nice shoe box company in Italy and I use them for something else now. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, I, I recently got a product from this brand called Elements. It's a beverage. Um, and when you open the box, it's like, and the box itself, it's not expensive. The print is just so sick with it inside. I just took a picture and, and you know, we're, we posted it on social just because the experience and like that's, you know, in the world of UGC, like it just makes your life a lot easier to not have to sort of source all of that content um, and just get a bunch of organic content. So if we now start getting into the distribution side of things, so, you know, for example, pottery is a very content rich product because you can film yourself making the pottery. Um, I mean, there's so many stages and processes, putting it in the fire, like all this stuff, taking it to the kiln. So how do I know what kind of content to make? Um, Do I have to like look for trends? Do I just start making stuff and see what sticks? Yeah, the answer is is make it all. But uh, the uh, is is volume of content is so important. Like uh, it, it compounds in a kind of a crazy way. Like if you post twice a week and you move from posting twice a week to every day, you get more than just you know uh, that multiple in return value. And if you go from posting once a day to twice a day, you get more than double the value. And if you go to posting four to 10 times a day, you know it goes even farther. Like it compounds so much, it's almost, it's almost crazy. Like the more you do, the better. And for a lot of people, there's, that's complicated logistically or you might burn out or anything like that. But I think it's a lot of it's just creating it, but it's about having a strategy. And a lot of what I like to look at is, is like making it like a, like a storyline almost, or like how do I, am I explaining all these pieces of the process that make sense, you know, when when you kind of scroll through it in a way that like you're learning about the brand. And so I have like a pretty big document I have that just has like a master list of all kinds of videos. And I made it by just looking at a bunch of different brands that had stuff that worked. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a guy, uh, JT Barnett on, on LinkedIn where he oh, features he's a coming brand. On the pod now. Oh yeah. He's, he, he's sick. I love his content. And he, but he has a series on LinkedIn, which is just like TikTok brands that are crushing it. And he kind of breaks it down. And I've just gone to each of those brands as he posts them and be like, all right, uh, I'm going to look at them. I'm looking at what content they did that went well. I'm going to put the list about it on the notes. Some of it's like factory tours, some of it's background stories, some of it's unboxing, whatever it is. And so I just have this master list and it's something anyone could put together from brands in their niche. And then you just roll through those concepts and see what works. But the goal is just saying, hey, we're going to make content every day or have someone in our company responsible for making it every day. And we're going to, you know, and we're going to keep putting it out there. And then the best content that performs organically, you turn that into your ads. And then you like, and then you kind of get this cycle of graduating content from organic to advertising, uh, and and you're just kind of always in that flow. And then once you have enough customers, you begin asking them for it. I think that's one of the most compelling things that you can do now is saying, hey, you know, tag us in your things or send us a video with this theme, or we'll give you a free thing if you do that. And and really beginning to evolve them and getting them excited to to promote your product and share your product with it because it's something that people will do now. That again, yeah. five years ago, not everyone would be do, would be making a video with it. Now a lot will. Yeah, I mean that's that's literally what what trend does. Like we just automate the entire workflow, the the content. You can find a spokesperson, and they're not. We we use people that might not be influencers because anyone can sort of make this kind of content for you. But even in the early days, I'm just thinking through it. Like you could also probably just find an intern around your local college, um, and just start churning content out. So if you're one person doing this, I know you mentioned five people. You probably all have to. F- you, you probably have to like face out each one of these stages. Like, let's say I'm one person trying to prove all this out or two people, you know, supplier, 
making content, posting packaging? Would you map that out in a three month like process, six months? Yeah, I think so. I think it takes 90 days to get through the uh, product sourcing and sampling process if you're doing it fast, because you know, you're gonna send all your samples by air, you don't have to wait on shipment, but basically production, talking and communication there, and you're probably gonna end up doing things three or four times to make sure you get it right. That's, that's probably 90 days. Uh, like I'm working on a more complex jewelry product right now. We'll probably have spent six months sampling and getting it right yeah. before we launch. And we were going as fast as we humanly could. And yeah. so, um, and then from there, uh, the nice part is that doesn't take up all your time. A lot of that is, is hurrying up and waiting uh, based on getting your vendors feedback and stuff. And so you can be creating or you know, mapping out your launch plans, detailing other things that you have, making your content list and preparing in that same time. And then you can also be using the samples you get to help create your content. Um, mm -hmm. and especially if you do have a domestic factory and you can actually spend time inside it and working inside of it, uh, you're able to, it's important to document that entire process too. Like building in public is one of the biggest tools like a brand can have. If you're going through that process and you're sharing a lot of that input on Twitter, you're building an audience that can help you launch your product, for instance. Mm -hmm. So where can people find like, and I'm, I'm, I'm not wrapping up here, but since you brought up that you have these resources, um, where, like, where is this product world? Where you have all yeah, this? So I, yeah, so I have a website called Product World and then an email list called Product People. And then the email list is really mm -hmm. popular. Um, you know, I think we're up to close to 4,000 people on there now. And so that is, and it's purely just factory links for different things I'm interested in or researching. And then strategies for like launching that and refining your product and differentiating your product. So if you are going through that process now, of how do I find out what to make? How do I have ideas? How do I make it better? How do I find a factory? I, I just hit that every week inside there. Uh, and then okay. I list some of the resources and individual things as articles on, on the site. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a resource, it's free, and you're just trying to kind of enable more people to be able to do that and understand the opportunities there. Uh, one of the things, since you mentioned you have Pietra, I'm, I'm about to do on that newsletter is I'm starting a product with two friends from scratch on Pietra and then documenting the whole experience. We're going to share it nice. all in the newsletter. Um, just because it's just important, I think, to show people what you what you can do there um, yeah. and, and, kind of, and, how, and how that works. And then launching it and working after that is a whole different beast, right? Because there's different strategies to take. Either you, you seem to be an expert in like one thing. You say, okay, I'm, I'm going to hire somebody or I'm going to be an expert in paid media and we're going to really kill paid media. Or I want to build an audience myself as a founder and I'm going to use that to jumpstart getting B2B relationships and building a big email list and be great at that. Or, hey, we're going to be great at making organic TikTok content or one of those things and we're just going to focus 100% on that. If you're great at one of these kind of promotional methods or sales, just B2B sales is another one where we're gonna, I'm going to crush selling to retailers. If you just get one of those things and you're great at it and, and start there, especially if you have a small team, then then you know, okay, when I want to expand, I just hire out one of these other pieces and I know I already have one locked in and generating revenue. I love the fact that like there, that you map out every single avenue and say like what you're good at because just go down the path that's easy for you. Like it's not, you know, you might see a bunch of content across running Facebook ads, but you know, your, if your strength is sales, just go B2B. I mean, why would you make it so much harder on you? Um, as you mentioned with all these tools, now there's multiple ways to do this, not just one. Or if you're, you could even be good at, if you're good at like sales and deal structure and you could just acquire too. Um, like how, if I'm going to put my gray hat on and like, you could also acquire say pottery, TikTok accounts. Like oh, you could sure. probably I mean, do that, I right? Do this yeah, I know it's great, but I do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's just like, and also, and just build, like, if you don't even know what you want to make yet, but you just know, you know the niche, just be building in it. Like, um, like I met someone the other day who just has like a giant set of plant um, social media accounts. I saw that on your Twitter. Yeah, and, uh, and it was just like, oh, like, 
this is great. Like they have a whole network set up and they don't know what they're going to prioritize yet. But when they do, they have like half a million or a million followers across all the medium. And I'm like, cool, they're going to be just fine. When they decide whatever their perfect planner is, like they're going to be good. But you can just do that in the interim by just creating value for people, right? Like I'm not selling anything on my site or my newsletter, uh, but like, and people are just going to it. And one day when I want to, that audience is there. And I think it's the same thing for whatever niche that, that you're planning to go into. And it's an easy way to start. It's just writing on the internet or making videos on the internet or curating other people's writing and videos on, on the internet about whatever your chosen niche is. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's the patience it takes to not be desperate to instantly monetize it too. And just, it, it's a hustle. Like it's not going to be easy. None of this stuff. Yeah. It might be easier for you to go B2B, whatever, but that doesn't mean it's not going to suck. Like, you know, you have to like physically visit all of these places, like get on well, calls. What, what, what does happen is uh, what, I, what I've seen, or at least what's happened to me personally, and I'm now seeing with a few people like in my circle is that once you get one product to hit, or once you get two products to hit and you're starting to be like, oh, I this just I can do this, then it's actually really easy to do like seven. <laughs> you know, then you yeah. can then you start to see, oh, I only need one accounting department and I can do this across multiple things. My costs go down, or oh, I'm sending stuff to influencers anyway. I can send them five products and get a discounted rate on whatever we're working on. Like it actually starts to really add up in scale, but it's just getting that comfort level in your head where you're like, no matter what it is. I'm good enough or I have enough relationships that are good enough at all these different things that we can make it work as long as the product's good enough. And I think that that's the, the state that everyone should aspire to get to because then you're just functioning in this like perfect, perfect realm where you're like, I can make anything work on Amazon. I'm going to keep doing that, you know? Yeah. And what are, what are some of the categories that like, let's say I just, Hey, um, or my first one just worked actually last week. Now I want to do four or five what are the categories you're looking into right now? I know you mentioned pickleball, and I know that's a really hot one right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I figured out stuff that I was looking at that I wouldn't uh, that we want to do. And so that's funny. Like those those are ones I'm looking at, and I, I have also the ones I'm actually building in. So one I'm building yeah. in right now is, is in sleepwear. Um, I think that uh, that's just a it's such an easy TikTok sales category and such an yeah. interesting purchase, and um, that like is like the snuggie was as good as it went. Um, I think, you know, jewelry is another one where I think there's really unique opportunities in. Uh, yeah, and then all these emerging sports. I feel like people picked up all these sports in the pandemic and we saw all these tennis brands and golf brands launch, but I don't think any of them have quite nailed it yet. Pickleball's huge. Like it's just at the very beginning of kind of where it's at. Uh, and I just try to note opportunities. Like yeah. one of the biggest ones I see is always is just generational shifts, right? So you have, you know, uh, groomers are all retiring. Gen X are basically becoming the new boomers. They're going to be looking to their retirement and kind of grappling with old age for the first time. Millennials are then going to be kind of in that stage where they're, uh, you know, and they're, who are a very different generation growing up with the internet, um, who are going to be looking at a whole different set of challenges and hobbies and, and, and they are very much more vain than previous generations. And so there's, there's all these things to sell to them is like, as they, as these things progress, what are things that these older generations are grappling with that this newer and how would you sell those same concepts to a newer generation? I think is really, really interesting to me when I'm coming up with kind of concepts there, but to the point of how do you add things onto each other to sell more? I think that's where it works as being in the same niche and target demographic. Like if I have a successful women's wear brand, I don't want to go just then develop a, like a pickleball brand for boomers, right? I, I want to say, what else can I sell to this demographic where I can use the same influencers, where the same email list might be relevant, where the same social media accounts could cross promote and like what other problems do they have? And I think the biggest solution to that is just spend time with your customers or actually ask your customers those questions um, or go on Reddit and see what they complain about and uh, and start to build a roadmap of problems you can solve. Yeah, I love that. So it's like if it's pottery, it's like, well, you might as well sell like candles or something in the, that's related to kitchens or yeah. 
yeah the interior so, design and all the other yeah exactly like you know to get kitchenware ceramics all they all kind of tie, ties together um yeah what would those same same people want just keep expanding and you can expand the ltv i guess which like at the end of the day just get better unit economics cost of goods goes down everything um yeah, well, so also, let me uh, see if you look to sell your business at some point if you have customers where like your average customers bought four things from you over right. the course of three years the value of that business to an end buyer is much higher than when you have Oh, all those people bought one thing from you one time. Yeah. I mean, if, yes, yeah, so, you know, speaking of tools, like you could even sell it to open store if you're just trying to cash out, which is one of our podcast sponsors. Um, so, um, you know, they're actually, their office is right down here in, in Miami. And um, yeah, I mean, they just offer instant liquidity. So um, just get your valuation up by, by extending the LTV. So one, one more thing I want to touch on is, Let's say I suck at making TikToks, whatever. Uh, I'm not great at ads. It's SEO a channel for e-commerce oh, if you're patient. Yeah, a thousand percent. It just takes more time. Um, yeah. I'd say it's going to take six months to see some progress there and you need to be writing multiple times a week. Uh, I'm a huge SEO fan. I spend a lot of time in, in SEO. Uh, but I think you need to have researched your product for SEO early. Um, so one of these things, I, I did a little example I put in my newsletter uh, doing this for, for protein. And it was funny because I didn't have any preconceived notions going into it, but I was like, look, I'm just going to use Ahrefs and answer the public, which are just Ahrefs is a paid tool. Answer the public is free and to see what people are looking for around protein. And then, and then look at the scores on SEO of how difficult it would be to rank on the first page for that. And then mm -hmm. also look at how much traffic it is for those terms. And the one that really stood out was caramel. There was all this searches for caramel protein and then no one is making any caramel protein. And I was like, Oh, like, it was funny, like, I'm literally, I spent 20 minutes on this and I'm like, I found an opportunity. But that's how you need to do SEO. You need to identify that opportunity and say, guess what? There's way more traffic here than people trying to sell something. I can see it, the numbers validate it. I'm gonna make a product for this and I'm gonna make content around that and every subterm and every term around it and try to own 100% of that traffic. Yeah, Ahrefs makes it so easy. I mean, you could literally just keep clicking and expanding and expanding and look like, you know, long tail keywords. And the, the, the challenging part with anyone that's starting out though, it's like, SEO takes time to learn. Like it's not just most of the stuff that you find. It's like, oh, just write good content. Like it's not just that. I mean, there's like, there's yeah, SEO optimization, useful, yeah. there's backlinking, <laughs> there's like heavy research. You have to understand key, keyword difficulty, domain authority, like what backlinks you're getting. You can get screwed if you don't do that right. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, much easier to make TikToks. But it, it's, I guess it's one of those things like for any of those, it depends on the kind of person you are. But I feel like, we're in this golden generation where like, I usually just recommend buying courses and stuff. Like when I want to start TikTok, I bought a course from this guy, Jimmy Farley, that was great. And it wasn't like the end all be all of everything, but it gave me all the pieces I needed to feel comfortable to make something. Uh, or JT. I, yeah, yeah, or JT, yeah. I mean, he has a masterclass for brands. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be great. And, uh, but even with SEO, like, you know, go spend $200 on someone's Gumroad masterclass on SEO and just like follow it. Like expertise available for hundreds of dollars is like a crazy opportunity that I think people are like, Oh, I don't buy courses around like, no, just do it. Just get it and follow the exact playbook. And if it doesn't work for you, like DM the person you bought it from and be like, what am I doing wrong? And they'll probably answer, you know? And I think yeah. that uh, that's just an opportunity that's, that's, that's huge out there. Totally. Or you can even like message some of these creators yourself and show them just, just as long as you show hustle, people will respond. Um, and so as we wrap up towards the end here, I do think it's important to touch too on something I, I came across on your Twitter, which is mindset. Um, you know, I think a lot of this is like, even if you listen to this episode and you have the entire playbook play by play, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take 
shit not working videos not working hundreds of videos potentially not working multiple accounts facebook ads account shut down um so i think um i saw one tweet of yours that i loved which was your goal for the rest of the year should be to believe in yourself 10 times more than you do today so how do you i mean you're working on a bunch of stuff you shit hits the fan for you probably almost every day working on so many products so how do you get through it yeah well i think i just uh fell in love with the process of building right where it's just like when i realized all the other things that i thought i enjoyed in my life like oh you know going out to the club or doing this or doing that like when you're actually making something and you're invested in making it and you realize that like nothing can really stop you right like this little things that come up like you're right i've had a dozen things come up yesterday and today and you know of oh, this this shopify bug or oh the pricing is wrong internationally in a store i'm working on or hey this shipment's delayed we're not going to make our launch date like literally all that has happened in the last like 48 hours for me on something but it doesn't none of it really matters like all of it we're going to get through everything is going to be fine and because of the network i have of people that i work with and people that i found on the internet like i can answer almost any question i can get almost any help that's working there and then all of this is just continuing to put me in a better and better scenario for myself and my family and the people that I work with, the people that are around me that like, if you're just positively looking at that and you realize that none of those things can set you back and that if you handle it one time, then now it's going to be easy to handle it again. And that your plan isn't just to get to tomorrow. Your plan is to, you know, have your, your own little empire at some point. Um, you know, it's just there. And I like, and like that's a mindset. It's hard for people to just develop that mindset. But I think just like that eternal optimism and that belief that you can get through whatever, which is true, because I, I think anyone listening to this podcast or is invested enough to be trying to learn how they can participate in the DTC economy is it has that within them. It's just continuing to believe that and affirm yourself. And if you can't do that yourself, getting people around you that can. Like I have a great group chat with two other guys from Twitter I have, a, I have our, our podcast with where a lot of it is like we're dealing with something bad and they're both like, nah, no problem, you got it. Don't even let it hold you back. Or someone's hating on the internet, it's like, you know, screw them, whatever it is. Like getting that kind of support from people around you is uh, is huge as well. And I think that, you know, it just needs to be kind of a focus of your life. And and for a lot of people, you know, uh, that those concepts of like positivity and manifestation and all working through, I think are, are invaluable. You just have to lean into it. Yeah, and you know, also like what you mentioned, these courses, like, how can you connect with the other people that are taking that course? They're exactly um, on that same journey with you. They have discords, they have Facebook groups. Like, you know, if you're Good not friends. used to it, 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 <laughs> it makes a massive difference. And also yeah. when you're on the internet, and, it's a superpower. Yeah. We're here from that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then what's it called? They're not going to be judged. I mean, they're, they're, they're literally going through the same shit with you making the same mistakes. But I mean, also in the early days, there is, something you have to savor which is like the feeling of that first online sale like the feeling of like that first video working like hang on to that because i think you know that's one of the best feelings that that you might not experience again um you know obviously entrepreneurship does give you its treats and rewards but it's just gonna you know th that's like the first one i just remember it just like the first online sale just feels wild um so and ride that wave you realize it's in your hands yeah and, and just ride off that dopamine you know and be like all right yeah like i want the thing that drives me is the shopify notifications <laughs> you know? yeah and it's just exactly. like, it feels great Le lean into it yeah um sweet all right well um Owen, one last question i have for you is like with the strategy that we just broke down can that get you to seven figures or is that more of a six-figure strategy and things get i think for sure i um you know seven figures is i think more achievable than people think um and i think a lot of it comes to like really what it comes down to is cash flow there's a difference between six figures and seven figures is do i have the money to invest in inventory to scale and right. uh and that's if you're selling a digital product or something then it's a little, it's a little bit easier and i think the biggest hack to that is uh 
is a like really working through terms and financing with your vendors and doing these traditional things like small business loans and you know and credit cards for your LLCs and whatnot to help you do that. Um, or and then the other piece is is selling digital things, whether you have digital downloads or content or things that that can make you money that you can use to fund inventory that don't actually cost you anything. And then doing things like pre-sales and setups as you grow when you have real customers that are that there and support you that that help you kind of bridge those gaps. Uh, but I think that, yeah, that's that's the biggest difference between using the same plan for six or seven figures is how much money you had to start or how you're able to get cash flow to get you the inventory to get there. Sweet. All right, Oren. Well, bunch of value bombs here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your knowledge. Where can people keep up with you personally with product world, product people, et cetera? Yeah, so Social. I'm at Oren, Oren Meets World on uh on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, and yeah, and then it's uh, productworld.xyz has all the signups for, for, for product people, which is the newsletter, which uh, I highly recommend. I try to drive as much value as I can through there. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out or DM me anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Oren. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.